Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis. You thought I was going to say Romans, didn't you? We'll be at Romans in a few minutes, but take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to talk a whole lot today about Abraham from Romans chapter 4. But before we get to Romans, we're going to get some background on Abraham um, from the book of Genesis. Many of you, when you, were, uh, when you were a kid, you might have learned a song called Father Abraham, right? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right arm, left arm, right foot, left foot, right, and you go all the way through all the different motions. How, how many of you actually learned that when you were a kid? Okay, a lot more of you need to learn that song still, <laughs> mostly so I don't look like a fool standing up here shaking my arms around. Um, Abraham, and, and really what we, what we find in that song is, is the fact that the, the reality that he is the father of many nations, we're going to talk about that here in just a moment, but what Abraham is known for the most is the fact that he was a man of great faith, of great faith. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, which is what we call the, the hall of faith, we find these words. It says, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 9, it'll be on the screen so you can read along with me. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And this inheritance is coming from God. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Now, the Apostle Paul is building this case for faith in the book of Romans. And who better to use an ex as an example for faith than Abraham? Abraham's faith and trust in God was legendary. Now, you're in Genesis chapter 12. Let's read verses 1 through 3 together, okay? Here's what it says. Now, the Lord said to Abram, because at this time, Abraham's name is Abram. God changes it later. He said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now there's several things to note here about Abraham, and the first is that God doesn't tell Abraham where he's going. Did you notice that? He doesn't tell him where he's going. All God says is that he's going to show Abraham where he is to go. He's going to show him. There's nothing more that's said about it. Now, we know because we know the end of the story that Abraham is heading to Canaan. But at this point, Abraham doesn't know any of that stuff. He is obeying not based on a knowledge of where he's going. He is obeying simply because he is surrendering to God and he's understanding how important God is to obey. Now, we can learn a whole lot from the example that we see there in Abraham. Just in that fact, just in the fact that he obeys immediately. Um, we also know that God doesn't give Abraham any details on how he's going to get there. You see that? There's no details there on, on, on who should go with him. He doesn't tell Abraham what to take with him. He doesn't tell Abraham if he should pack for cold weather or hot weather. He doesn't tell Abraham if he should travel by train or by camel. God doesn't give any of those details. But here's the beautiful thing. A heart that is sold out to doing whatever God calls that person to do doesn't need details. They're so excited about the chance to be involved in whatever it is that God's doing that they simply jump in obedience and trust God with working out the details. God, I don't know where you're going. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what you're up to, but I'm trusting you to work out these details. 
Now, that doesn't mean that we don't plan. In fact, um, in God's lack of details given to Abraham, we do see Abraham work out the details and, and, and work to obey. Um, but Abraham doesn't mope around. He doesn't drag his feet. He simply moves in obedience to God. Folks, God has asked us to have hearts that are obedient, that surrender in faith to him. And we may not know the end destination. We may not know how we're going to get there. But God does. And all he's asking is that we simply obey him in faith. One of the things we know without a doubt is that in the case of Abraham, and this is going to inform us as we get to Romans chapter 4 in a few moments, but in the case of Abraham, God calls Abraham and he gives him some promises. God calls Abraham and he gives him some promises. Now, there's a series of promises that God gives, okay? One, he promised that he would make of Abraham a great nation. That's one of the things he says, he will make of Abraham a great nation. Now, that doesn't happen in, <clears throat> excuse me, Abraham's lifetime, but it does very generously come to pass down the road. And you remember that um, Abraham had uh, Isaac and Isaac had Jacob, and, and from Jacob comes 12 sons who will make up the nation of, of Israel. From there, millions of descendants um, take place through the nation of, of Israel. Uh, next, God would bless Abraham and make his name great. Even today, Abraham is touted as the father of the Jewish nation. It's not just the Jews, though, who claim uh, Abraham is their father. The Muslims also do through the line of Ishmael. Regardless of the line that you're talking about, there are literally billions of people who over the past 4,000 years have known the name of Abraham, and they can trace their roots back to Abraham as their forefather. God's promise to make Abraham, excuse me, God's promise to Abraham to make his name great was something that has been fulfilled. That promise has been kept. Um, we also see the promise of God would bless those who bless Abraham and curse those who curse Abraham. There is a uh, commentator by the name of Cecil Sherman who, writing on this, here's what he says. He says, God will condition his blessings and cursings on the way people react to Abraham's descendants. Did you catch that? Because that's pretty significant here. God will condition his blessings and cursings on the way people react to Abraham's descendants. So for thousands of years, we've seen this come true. God blesses those who bless the nation of Israel, and God dishonors and curses nations who are in open opposition to the nation of Israel. There is no point in all of the history or in the future of Israel, the nation, in which God will be done with them. They are his people. They have been from the very beginning when he promised Abraham to make a great nation of him. And then here's the last promise that we see, and that is that God would, by Abraham, bless all the families of the earth. That God would bless all the families of the earth. Now, I want you to catch this, okay, because this is, this is so incredibly crucial to really where we are at today. This is not something that would be realized until Jesus came to earth and died, not just for the Jews, but for all mankind, me and you included. Jesus would be the one who God would use to bless all the families of the earth with salvation. Jesus would be born of the line of Abraham, and one day every single person from every tribe and tongue would have the opportunity to be blessed by the salvation that Jesus had to offer. Now, all of these are promises that God makes to Abraham. But I want you to forget, never ever forget this, that when God calls you to have faith in him, 
When God tells you to step out in faith, to obey him, to surrender to him, he always accompanies that call with promises. And it may not be a promise of wealth or prosperity or of your name being great, but God will always, always give you a promise that will be kept. So then we come to Romans chapter 4. So take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 4, okay? And Paul's about to break down the faith that Abraham has for us, and we're going to see that Abraham's faith is a model for the kind of faith that we are supposed to have. Now, the end of Romans chapter 3 left us with um, learning that Christ's righteousness becomes ours when we receive it by faith. So the righteousness of Jesus, the perfect righteousness of Jesus becomes our righteousness when we receive Jesus by faith. Abraham was a man of great faith in God, and we know that Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. Let me say that again. His faith was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, faith is what gave Abraham God's righteousness. You get the point? Faith counted as righteousness. Don't lose those words because they are so crucial to understanding this passage. Let's read Romans chapter 4, starting at verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he's got something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Now, here's a question that we'll start right off the bat with that this passage answers. How was Abraham saved? The simple answer is by faith. That's how Abraham was saved. We see this in Genesis 15, chapter 6, that he was saved by faith. It was his faith in God that, that, that saved him. Look in uh, Romans, verse, Romans chapter 4, verse 4. And verses 4 and 5 really break this down for us, okay? Here's what verse 4 says. It says, To the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And we talked about this several weeks ago when we were talking about the gift of, of Jesus Christ and the gift of salvation that is Jesus Christ. It's not based on anything that we deserve. When you are hired to do a job, you are paid your wages because you earn those wages. But gift of salvation is not wages. It is a true gift from God, not based on anything that we've done, just be simply because it's a gift to us from God. Romans chapter 11, this is verses 35 through 36. Who has given a gift to him, to God, that he might be repaid? And the rhetorical question here is answered by no one. There's no one who could give anything back to God to be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now grace is receiving something that you don't deserve. And in this case, it's receiving forgiveness of sin and eternal life. So many religions are based on the premise that if a person does what is good, then God will accept them into heaven. Most religions work based on the premise that I obey, therefore I am accepted. I do the good things and so God accepts me into heaven. That's the most religions in the world. But the gospel works in a completely different way from every single other religion on earth. And this that we're about to read is the differentiating factor. All right, look at verse 5. And to the one who does not work but believes in him, Jesus, who justifies the ungodly, 
his faith is counted as righteousness. There's three words there that are like curse words in, in much of America, okay? Does not work. All right? Does not work. You see that right there near the beginning of, of verse 5. Everybody knows that a person who refuses to work is not worth much. But in the upside-down kingdom of God, it's only those who do not work for their salvation that can actually achieve salvation. Paul's clear that God's righteousness comes on the ungodly who believe in Jesus. And, and listen, God's not looking for you to bring your perfect life to him, and then once you bring that, then he's going to save you. He's not telling you, hey, listen, you go clean your act up, and then you come back, and then we'll talk about salvation. No, what he's doing is he's opening up his arms saying, no, come to me, all of you, doesn't matter what you're bringing to me, come to me and I will clean you up. Not the other way around. So let's go back to Abraham for a minute. Abraham is a pagan. He's not a spiritual man. He doesn't have a legacy of faith. He doesn't have a legacy of being taken to church every single Sunday or of learning God's word. He doesn't have that kind of legacy. He was an ungodly person, as Paul's talking about here. But when God called that ungodly, sin-filled person to obey him, he did so in faith, and that is what got him the righteousness of God. That's it. Not the actions that he brought to the table. Not, to the, not the look at me, look at what I've done, look at all the good things that I've, I've done. No, his simple obedience in faith is what earned him the righteousness of God. Look back at verse 2. If Abraham was justified by works, he's got something to boast about. In other words, if Abraham looked at all of the stuff that he'd done... Oh, man, look at how good I've been. Look at how much I've been caring for the poor, giving money to this or that. He's got a reason to boast, but his boast is not before God. He can't say, hey, God, look at me. Look at what I've done. I'm good enough for you now. It would have been pointless boasting because God doesn't look at the outward appearance or actions. God looks at the heart. And at the end of the day, even if Abraham did some really good stuff, his heart was still bent on making himself look good rather than honoring God. And God looks at the heart. What's the state of the heart? He gives salvation to the heart that is bowed in faith to him. So how was Abraham saved? He was saved through his simple yet heartfelt faith in God. And that is the same way that we are saved today. It is through our simple, heartfelt faith in the Son of God, Jesus. That's the only way that we are saved. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, writes this, and this quote is on the screen for you. He says, nobody can produce new evidence of your depravity that's going to make God change his mind. God justified you, so to speak, with his eyes open. He knew the worst about you at the time when he accepted you for Jesus' sake. And the verdict which he, which he passed down then was and is final. God knew who you were. It's not like he was missing some information somewhere. Oh man, you're a lot worse than I thought you were. No, God knew who you were and still saved you. Now, as you read on down through chapter 4, you're going to see this idea of God saving us to do good works 
not because of our good works. This is something that's reinforced over and over again. And I'm going to skip down now, all the way down to verse 18. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Here's what it says. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, in the time we've got left, I want to give you um, several things about Abraham's faith that should inform our faith today, okay? So make sure you write these down, maybe pull out your phone, take notes um, somehow, but I want you to see these, okay? First of all, Abraham believed God even though the circumstances seemed hopeless. He believed God even though the circumstances seemed hopeless. What are the circumstances? Um that make you think something is impossible? What are the circumstances that make you think something is impossible? And it could be that the weight of your sin is, is too great. Um, it could be that the relationship is too broken. The call of God is too scary. The hopelessness is too much. What's your two? What's your two today? In verse 18, we read that in hope, Abraham believed against hope. Meaning that in the middle of a hopeless situation, Abraham chose to believe God, to have hope in God. And this is one of the reasons that his faith is counted as righteousness. The very fact that he is talking about in hope, Abraham believed against hope, means that, means that this thing was absolutely hopeless. But where did Abraham's hope come from? It came from God. He believed God. If you think strictly from a worldly perspective, Abraham was crazy what he did in obeying God. I mean, he was absolutely crazy. He, he left everything that he knew to be normal. He left everything that he knew to be comfortable. And when God said go, he just went. Y'all, that's crazy, right? But he did it. And in the middle of that, Abraham had God. Therefore, Abraham had hope. Abraham believed God, and God did the impossible through Abraham. Next, Abraham's faith did not weaken. Abraham's faith did not weaken. We see this in verse 19. It says, He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Remember, what's the, what's the promise here? The promise is a son by whom billions of people would be born. But what it says there is he did not weaken when he considered his own body and the hopelessness of that, the age of his own body, his own body or the, the barrenness even of Sarah's womb. He didn't weaken in faith. Folks, when God first calls a person to something, their faith is oftentimes really, really great. 
Man, God is called. Here we go. They're resolved to obey God to whatever he's telling them to do. But a lot of times it doesn't take long and their faith begins to weaken and it begins to fizzle out. Abraham is an old man. God has not yet come through on his promise to make him the father of many nations. And we know that he tried to take matters into his own hands with, with Ishmael. But when he realized his sin, he repented and came back to faith in God. And eventually his son Isaac, the one that God had promised, was born. You know, God doesn't always work in the timing that we want him to. And, and, and sometimes when he doesn't, we allow our faith to weaken. I know that God promised, but I'm just not seeing it, so I'm not sure I really believe it. I hope I'm not the only one that's ever been there before. God, I know that you said this, but I don't see it happening, so I'm not really sure how much I believe in this moment. Abraham's faith is an example to us because when, even when the odds are against him, he doesn't let his faith weaken. Next, Abraham gave glory to God. He gave glory to God. He's in verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Did you see there what, it made, what, what, what was it that made Abraham strong in his faith? It was him giving glory to God. So as he gave glory to God, he grew stronger in his faith. A Christian lives to promote the glory of God. What better way to promote his glory than to show the world that you believe what God has said, that you believe him to be trustworthy, that you believe him to be faithful, that you know that he's with you and that he loves you with an unconditional love. You continually make him the sovereign Lord of your life and you let him call the shots. That's how we give glory to God, by believing God and glorifying him with our lives. And in that, our faith is strengthened. Abraham believed God would keep his promise, would keep his promise. We see that in verse 21. It says, it uses the words, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Abraham is fully convinced. Don't ever cease to be fully convinced that God is able to do exactly what he has promised. But then lastly, Abraham's faith is our example. Abraham's faith is our example. And this, I'm going to read verses 22 through 25 for us. Paul says, That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, trespasses and raised for our justification. There was an old man who um, had never, ever ridden in a plane before, and, um, and he knew that his life was likely coming to an end, and he'd always been afraid to ride in an airplane. His family had been trying to talk him into years, for years, into riding in this airplane. And, and so um, one day he, he said, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to do it. Um, so he gets in this airplane, and he makes it clear, I just want a little ride. Not a long ride, just a little ride, enough to be able to say that I did it. So he does it. And when he gets back down, his family asked him if he had enjoyed it, to which he responded, well, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be, but I'll tell you this, I never did put my weight down. Some of y'all need to think about that for a second, okay? He says, I never did put my weight down. In other words, he was holding himself up. He was somehow thinking, if I can, if I can not even fully sit in this seat all the way, then this airplane won't crash. 
He never did fully put all of his weight down. And I heard that sometime back, and I thought about the example or the illustration of faith. He had put himself in the airplane. He was already, however, thousands of feet up in the sky. He had taken all those steps. And sometimes I think for a Christian, they take that step of, of salvation, faith and salvation. But then after that, it's like they, they, they spend their entire plane ride, their entire Christian life holding themselves up. If I could just do this or if I could just do that, then, then I'll be all right. I won't crash. But can I tell you that our God is able to handle our faith? And a lot of times, he's just waiting for us to relax. and Say, all right, God, I trust you with my life. I trust you with my family. I trust you with my career. I trust you with my sickness. I trust you with my relationships. I trust you, God. Abraham had saving faith that was incredible, but he had sustaining faith that was also incredible. And this morning, I want to challenge us just for a moment to think about, have I trusted God for saving faith? And am I even now trusting him for sustaining faith? The hymn, Trust and Obey, says that there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And that's exactly right. No greater place to be than in the center of God's will, trusting him with our lives. I hope that the faith of Abraham is an example to us that we can trust our God, that he's never going to let us down. If you want to go back and look at the story of Abraham a little bit more, I would encourage you to do so this week. So couple Romans chapter 4 with Genesis 12 through 15. Genesis 12 through 15, read those and look at the example of faith that we see in Abraham. Father, thank you for your word and we thank you for the way that it challenges us. That Father, it holds us up. Father, it will never ever let us down because you are a God who will never ever let us down. And then even though we may not always understand exactly what it is you're calling us to, Father, we know without a doubt that our faith launches us into a relationship with you, but it also sustains us for life. Father, help us to relax and trust you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.